why it is that the first directive every teacher learns how to give is, okay everybody, sit down and be quiet. Or rather, less politely of course, sit down and shut up. And it seems strange that certainly when I was involved in school, learning had somehow become yoked to being sedentary and to being silent. It sort of seemed to have more to do with anaesthetics than slowly senses, rather than with aesthetics that wake you up. And I guess that sometimes we have to listen so that we can learn. But the corollary is how on earth can we get answers if we're not allowed to ask questions? The best teachers and, on the other hand, the most gifted learners I've ever met know that the more questions they ask, the more learning will happen. And I, the other day, watched a DVD of a film I'd seen before and really loved. It's the King's Speech, and I don't know how many of you remember it or have seen it, but its theme is finding your voice. And it could just as easily have been called Finding Your Voice. I found it interesting, though, because all the royal watchers and the romantics have forever focused on the king who gave up his throne for the woman he loved. And that's been the focus for years and years and years. And that king, of course, was Edward VIII. But they never seemed to get much credence to the person who replaced him, as it were. With a profound stammer and knock knees, Prince Albert, like Bertie, hardly rated a second glance until suddenly he was his country's second chance at having a new king. And the greatest obstacle preventing Prince Albert from becoming King George VI was his inability to find his own voice. And the movie focuses on how the royal monarch's relationship with a gifted speech therapist Lionel Lowe enables a bumbling, stumbling stammerer to become a much-loved sovereign. And Lionel Lowe was absolutely self-taught. He had no credentials. But he utilised the most advanced technology he had at hand to help his royal students. He even used phonograph 
recordings of the king's own voice so that Albert could truly hear himself for the first time. But he used something more powerful, more important. He used the age-old power of relationship to tune and tone the king's voice. It took a long time of coaching and learning to trust each other and building respect for each other. Before Lowe could declare to Albert, you must have faith in your voice. But when that point did come, it was their relationship that enabled the man who no one thought would ever be king to respond finally, I have a voice. What about us? Do we have faith in our voices? Have we used our voice, really used it? In the past few weeks, opponents of the newly sworn-in President of the United States have shown that they have faith in their voice, and they've raised it in alarming numbers against their new President. They know their message and they used and continue to use their voice. Trump must go. Yet the sound of a voice being raised is not enough. Our voices must have something beautiful, good and true to tell. Powerful voices can bring power And if that power is abused, the result is tragedy and evil. Adolf Hitler had a strong, powerful and very persuasive voice. So did Osama Osama bin Laden. Strength is not the measure of what should carry a voice. Truth is. Beauty is. Goodnesses. And in some ways, it seems easier to raise our voice in anger and condemnation rather than in gentleness and goodness and humility. I was a child in England during the war, and I still recall my parents' unwavering respect and genuine love for King George VI, for Bertie, and for Queen Elizabeth. It was largely because Bertie, once he found his voice, used it to speak eloquently and often to his people. Standing tall and erect, he gave them courage, he gave them hope through the dark and frightening times. Not only did he do that, but he and the Queen refused to leave London during the Blitz. They stayed, and after bombs had fallen, they'd go and walk round the smoking rooms and the shattered streets, speaking with their people, 
showing care and compassion. I'd like to think that when we, each of us, find our voice, we use it to encourage and to give hope to others. I also think that we're pretty good at St. George's in doing that. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't speak out in anger against unjust structures in our society, or family violence, or drug abuse, whether it be abuse of alcohol or pee or any other myriad substances that are used in the same way. And I don't believe that Jesus is saying that in today's reading from the Sermon on the Mount either. Someone who raised his voice effectively in this way was Martin Luther King in his I Dreamed a Dream speech. He stood tall and used his voice to encourage his people and to address the huge wrongs in the society of his day. What I am suggesting is that we also need to find our voice and to use it in humility, gentleness and truth. It's simple, really, if we think about it. It's simple to say thank you for things well done. And maybe, just maybe, we don't show enough appreciation about that. It's a little more difficult, but still pretty easy, to say sorry when we need to. To give a word of sympathy or encouragement to our family, friends and neighbours when they're going through rough times. And as we heard the readings today, which all touch on that same subject, my prayer for each of us is that we too will, as Moses exhorts us in today's reading from Deuteronomy, Choose life, stand up, raise our voices and live, loving and serving our Lord. Amen.